Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's focus for Friday, January the 13th, 2023 at 1038 a.m. Central Time. Today's focus, how to do a proper intro. (laughs) What was that? I said, welcome. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to today's focus for Friday, January the 13th, 2023. It was like 2020. I don't know what I was doing. 2023. So welcome, everyone. And it is 1038 a.m. Central Time. And you know where I'm coming to you live from. The Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. I hope you're having a wonderful day. But today's focus actually is, it's its not actually how to do a proper in, in, intro. Wow, I'm having a hard time this morning. It, today's focus is E.M. Bounds. E.M. Bounds. Are you familiar with that name, E.M. Bounds? Now, I can't speak for your experience as a Christian, But in my Christian life, I have heard the name E.M. Bounds stated over and 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 over again. I can't even begin to tell you how many times people said, have you read E.M. Bounds books on prayer? Have you read the complete works of E.M. Bounds on prayer? You need to get that book. You need to read it. It will revolutionize your prayer life. It will change your prayer life. It's the greatest books. It's the greatest collection of of books on prayer that was ever written in the history of humankind. I mean, I mean, I know maybe I'm using a little bit of hyperbole, but that's basically the way it was given to me. And I I discovered uh, a volume called The Complete Works of E.M. Bounds on Prayer. I don't even know what year it was. I think I was still a teenager. I think I was still a teenager And I believe I stumbled upon the book at the Bible bookstore, Butternut Street, Abilene, Texas, as a teenager. Didn't know anything about E.M. Bounds. I didn't really even know much about prayer because I was a relatively new Christian. I remember reading it, marking it up, trying to understand it. I think think basically my takeaway was, yeah, I'm almost, yes, I definitely know because I remember some places where I was when I was reading it. I definitely was a teenager. Definitely a new believer. And I, I don't remember, like, I don't have my copy of the book. Uh, of I think, I think maybe it's in a box somewhere. I need to see if I can find it. But there was a section, and, and, I, and remember, it was the complete works of E.M. Bounds on prayer. So there was like a number of different books all in one, uh, one volume. So I don't remember which book or what it was titled or what the chapter was uh, titled, but it was something along about how great men of the past prayed. And so it it gave names of certain, you know, famous people in church history. And and basically it was like this. They prayed about 15 hours a day. And if you don't pray 15 hours a day, you're trash, you're garbage. That's basically how I I know that that's uh, maybe a little bit uh, exaggerated, but that's basically how it felt. You better wake up in the morning and pray for four hours. And then you better skip lunch and pray for another four hours. And then you don't even worry about eating, you know, dinner or supper. Pray for another four hours. And who needs sleep? Stay up all night praying. And if you do this, then you'll really be a man of God. If you do this, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. And I know, I know I came to this conclusion. 
I am never going to be a great man of God. I came to the conclusion that I am obviously trash and everyone is better than me because I could not figure out how I was supposed to live my life that way because I was like, well, I have to get up and go to school. Wait, I see. I work before school. I go to school. I work after school. Okay. I, 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 I mean, I, I start my work day at about 5 a.m. I go to school. I get out of school. By the time I get home from school is between you know, 3.30 and 4 in the afternoon. I have to be at work by about 5 p.m., sometimes 6 p.m., and then I would work till past midnight. I, I Where was I? I? I never understood. Like, am I just supposed to drop out of school, quit my job, live in a tent? I, like, I, I, nobody had any good answers for me, but I'm like, if this is what's required to be a great man of God, I'm doomed. I'm doomed. And, and, and I remember, though, that... um probably early on when I first started teaching and started preaching, I think sometimes I would use those things from Ian Bounds to say, what's our problem, guys? We should do, like in my mind, I was, I was, there was a disconnect, right? Like deep down, I knew that even I couldn't do it. But somehow in my mind, deep down, I felt like, well, if I don't do this, I'm probably not even saved because I was also being greatly influenced by uh, Lordship Salvation at the time. So I always felt like, okay, well, what's one of the proofs What's one of the proofs of salvation? Well, it has to be a, a passionate, zealous, committed prayer life. Okay, well, Ian Bounds gives me the kind of the standard. Well, hey, guys, if we're not doing this, we're probably not uh, saved. You're probably not saved. I remember that kind of, I kind of, you know, formulated all of this into this kind of, well, a very law-based Christianity. Now, I'm not going to say that Ian Bounds' in, intent and giving us those stories was to create a law-based Christianity. I'm not going to say that. What I'm going to say is it was the unintended consequences. But I think we could definitely agree that if you go back and if you really read the works of Ian Bounds on prayer, I, I would it would be very interesting to see. And I would challenge you to do this. You could probably get the entire collection of Ian Bounds' work on prayer probably for almost free or relatively cheap on a Kindle. You may be able to find it at your public library. I would challenge you just to have it because it's such a famous collection of books on prayer. I mean, it really is. But I would challenge you to look it up and read some of it and just try to notice is his view on prayer. Do you feel it's more law-based or do you feel it's more gospel-based? And then you would have to go and listen to our series on understanding law and gospel to really understand what I'm asking there. But I I think at least my memory of it was it was law-based. And my only conclusion was, one, either I'm not saved, or two, I don't know how to put this into practice because I will never be this way. Now, you may, you may read it and come to a different conclusion, but if you do read it, I would love to get your thoughts. Now, the reason I'm bringing up Ian Bounds for today's focus is because on January the 11th, at 1.38 p.m., one of our listeners... I think, he, I think he would be okay with saying he's one of our listeners. He definitely listens. He emailed me, and he emailed me with a question about Ian e. Bounds, and then he gives me sections from some of Ian e. Bounds' works on prayer. But before we get to the email, I thought I would just, for those who have no idea who's Ian e. Bounds, today's focus is Ian e. Bounds. You're, you're Googling his name right now, right? Or you're asking someone, Ian, 
you know, someone is sitting in a car with you or you're sitting on a bus or you're at work and you're looking over at your coworker going, Ian Bounds, who's Ian Bounds, right? Okay, I don't know if you're doing that or not, but if you are, let me give you a little bit of information. E.M. Bounds, that's the only way I would know his name, E.M. Bounds, but his actual name is Edward, or I should say, his actual name was Edward McKendry Bounds. Edward McKendry Bounds. He was born August the 15th, 1835. He died on August the 24th, 1913. He was, uh, he was definitely known uh, for his works on prayer. He was a member of the Methodist Episcopal Church. He is known for writing 11 books, nine of which focused on the subject of prayer. Only two of his books were published before he died. It was after he died that basically... I think it was a relative, someone kind of admired him, took and, and published his works. And then, well, he began to rose, he, he rose to great prominence and fame and almost seen, I, I, I think in my, at least in my Christian experience, he was almost viewed as the expert on prayer. Like if you want to understand prayer, read E.M. Bounds. And if you read E.M. Bounds, this is what you'll notice. And, and I found this to be fascinating, at least in my, again, my Christian experience, you may have experienced something different, but in my experience, that whenever I was listening to sermons on prayer, time and time again, guess what I would notice? I would sit there and I'd be, I, I just, in my mind, I'd be like, oh, that's page 18. Oh, that's page 25. Oh, that's page, because almost immediately I would start hearing either almost direct quotes paraphrases or ideas that was coming from E.M. Bounds. Sometimes the pastor would state it, sometimes they wouldn't. And I'm not saying that they were plagiarized. I'm not, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm not making any accusation. What I'm saying is clearly E.M. Bounds influenced pastor after pastor. And whenever they preached on prayer, they were relying heavily on what E.M. Bounds had to say. I mean, I, I don't think that that's, I think that that's fair. Now you may have a completely different experience. I, I mean, I would challenge you. Read E.M. Bounds, the complete work of E.M. Bounds on prayer. Read it and then just take a day and just like hop on the Sermons 2.0 app and look up prayer and listen to how many sermons on prayer and how much of it, whether directly or indirectly, whether consciously or subconsciously, they, they you're basically reading, you're hearing E.M. Bounds. You're hearing E.M. Bounds. It's just like when we were working on our series on the presence of God. And immediately I was like, oh, this is from Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. They're taking this from Andrew Murray. And it became obvious as we moved through that article, if you remember, they were it was basically just a, a repackaged version of Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. That happens a lot uh, in Christianity. And, and, and the thing that disturbs me is, in, is not that it doesn't bother me that someone gives a source or doesn't give a source. What bothers me is that sometimes it's preached as if these ideas come from Scripture, when in reality they're coming from someone else. And then the people are sitting there thinking, we studied what God had to say about prayer, and what, you, that what they don't realize is, no, all you studied was what E.M. Bounds had to say about prayer, and God and E.M. Bounds are very different, okay? So, but that, that, the problem is, is the people in the pew— in many cases, have no knowledge of all of these sources 
So they're being influenced by something that they think is they think they're being influenced by God's word when in reality they're being influenced by an ideology, a philosophy, or a theological system that comes from someone. I'm not saying it's wrong to give people that system that comes from someone. I just think pastors need to do a better job letting them know this is coming from this person. Here is the real source, but pastors sometimes take that source and then try to make it look like it comes from God. I hope that makes sense. But all right, here's here's what we're going to do. If you know anything about EM bounds, I, and I, and if you disagree with you disagree with this, you can email me and tell me that you disagree. I think it would be absolutely fair to say that EM bounds clearly was coming from a theological perspective, especially in a soteriology. Uh, coming from an Arminian uh, perspective. Clearly, uh, Orthodox, when I say Orthodox, Orthodox, not Orthodox to me, but Orthodox in line with Arminian theology. Like his soteriology would have been aligned with an Arminian perspective on soteriology, which I obviously hold to a more reformed soteriological position. So clearly Arminian. Now the question is, there was Arminianism, was there semi-Pelagianism all the way to full-blown Pelagianism? And if you know anything about full-blown Pelagianism, it clearly denies human depravity and would argue Pelagianism, pure Pelagianism, would argue that we there can be sinless people because we have no sinful nature. There is no sin inside of us. So was Ian Bounds... If, I, I think it could be dogmatically asserted that he was Arminian. Would it be fair to say that he was Pelagian? I don't, I don't know. I, only you can make that determination. The reason I'm asking that question, because I received this email. Again, January the 11th at 1.38 p.m. Does Ian Bounds teach sinless perfection in this life is possible? Does Ian Bounds teach sinless perfection in this life is possible? Now, I, w- I did not have the theological understanding when I first read Ian Bounds as a teenager to even detect this. I, I didn't pick it up. I, I, I probably, and considering I was being so greatly influenced by lordship salvation at the time, I probably would have been like, well, we can be perfect. We should be perfect because if we're not, we're proving we're not saved. That's basically what have been my attitude, even though I clearly was making sinning in all kinds of different ways. I had to convince myself that I wasn't because, well, because if I wasn't, then I wasn't saved, basically, is kind of what it led to. But here's what they say. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to try to go through these quickly. This is supposed to be 15 minutes long, and we're at 15 minutes right now, so that's okay. I, I wasn't able to do anything yesterday, and so let's, let's just do this. Here we go. Does E.M. Bounds teach sinless perfection in this life is possible? Does he teach this? Then the, next, the first thing they have quoted here is this. The necessity of prayer has a chapter on obedience. Chapter 9, which has some quotes that make me wonder. What he teaches doesn't seem to match the Bible, but Bounds is one of the most venerated prayer authors of all time. I was not expecting to read these quotes. He is. Now, I see pray. I, I am so happy that someone else uh, uh, agrees. That, uh, I mean, their experience it matches my experience. To me, Ian Bounds is the most venerated author on prayer. Hey, what should I read about prayer? Read Ian Bounds. I mean, it's like, it's like almost like you say his name in hushed tones. 
he abounds on prayer. And everybody's like, ooh, right? Okay, I, okay, maybe that's a little bit exaggerated, but you get the idea. So he was taken back by some of these quotes. Now, I'm not as taken back by some of these quotes because I already know he's clearly an Arminian. I, 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 I may, I, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Pelagian influence here, but okay, let's see what we discover. So he's quoting from chapter nine, which is a chapter on obedience. And this is the quote. Universal obedience of the race is demanded. Nothing short of implicit obedience will satisfy God and the keeping of all his commandments is the demonstration of it that God requires. Now, let me stop right here. This is going to take us right back to our study on law and gospel. I absolutely agree that, that nothing short of implicit obedience will satisfy God and that keeping all of his commandments is the demonstration that God requires. I believe that that's the standard. I believe no one will ever meet that standard. We fall short of that standard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's why our only hope is imputed righteousness. But Ian e. Bounds doesn't just stop with saying that this uh, obedience is demanded. No, 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 no. He does this. Listen carefully. But can we keep all of God's commandments? Can a man receive moral ability such as in, in, enables him to obey every one of them? Certainly he can. By every token, man can, through prayer, obtain ability to do this very thing. According to Ian e. Bounds and according to that quote, and I trust the person who uh, emailed me giving me, you know, actual chapters and giving me uh, actual sources, but I challenge everyone to grab a copy of Ian e. Bounds today and start working on this and see what you can find. That quote clearly implies that if we pray long enough, hard enough, because this is just Ian e. Bounds, I think, standard way of operating. You pray long enough. You pray hard enough. You can obey every command. Your failure to obey is due to your failure to pray. Pray more, you will obey more. Pray more, you will be better. Pray less, you will disobey. It's that simple. That, that's, and so, I, I, that, but see that right there, it's clearly a Pelagian idea. This is more of a Pelagian idea. Let's go to the next one. Another quote. If any should complain that humanity under the fall is too weak and helpless to obey these high commands of God, the reply is in order that through the atonement of Christ, man is enabled to obey. Now this to me, forget Arminianism, forget Pelagianism. To me, this is straight up Roman Catholicism. Because remember, Roman, remember the whole Protestant Reformation is divided between we are saved, justified by an imputed righteousness, which does not change us, which does not make us godly. It declares us to be godly, even though we are still godly. Or the, That's the Protestant Reformed view. And the Catholic view, you are justified by an infused righteousness. Righteousness is placed inside of you. Now you have, original sin is washed away. You now have righteousness inside of you. Now you cooperate with that righteousness and the church through the sacramental system is there to strengthen and feed that righteousness. So now you can do it. That to me, 
that quote right there is straight Roman Catholicism. He goes on to say, the atonement is God's enabling act, that which God works in us. And regeneration and through the agency of the Holy Spirit bestows enabling grace sufficient for all that is required of us under the atonement. The grace is furnished without measure and answered to prayer so that while God commands, he at the same time stands pledged to give us all necessary strength of will and of grace and of soul to meet his demands. So this is the way he's describing it. God demands perfection. He gives you the ability to be perfect. Where we would say God demands perfection and he gives us that perfection in the imputed righteousness of Christ. This is utterly a different Christianity. Ian Bounds is giving us something completely contrary to biblical Christianity. I will go so far to say he's putting forth a false gospel. And I know that's going to create, if, and, and, and I will listen, I will say this. If these quotes are accurate, which I trust that they are. Right. And, 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 and I'm, I'm the reason I'm doing this t- for today's focus is I want everyone else to go look these quotes up. I want us to verify this. Look, if, if we get anything wrong, I'll turn this microphone on and say, hey, 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 we got this wrong. But if these uh, if these quotes are accurate, Ian Bounds is putting forth a false gospel and I will stand by that. And I know he's the most venerated person on prayer and people are going to lose their minds on me. But. That, that this is contrary to biblical Christianity. That's not biblical Christianity. This being true, man is without excuse for his disobedience and eminently censurable for refusing or, or failing to secure requ- the required grace, whereby he may serve the Lord with reverence and with godly fear. In other words, hey, there's no excuse. If you don't obey, it's your fault because it's there. God is there ready to give you everything you need. Now, however, you've got to pray ultimately to get it because, again, that's Ian Bounds' constant theme. You you have the access to everything you need. You just got to pray to get it. So you got to be disciplined to pray. I don't know how much, how many hours you have to pray in order to obtain it, but I guarantee you it's more than 15 minutes a day. So you should be, in other words, uh, you should be censored. You should be punished. You should be disciplined for your lack of obedience because, well, there's no excuse for it. And then one last quote. It is, it, if it be claimed that the unrenewed man with all the disabilities of the fall upon him cannot obey God, there will be no denial. Now, see, now, th- now this is, okay, this is where he differs from Pelagianism. Now listen to listen carefully. If it be claimed that the unrenewed man with all the disabilities of the fall upon him cannot obey God, there will be no denial. Pelagius would have denied that. Pelagius would say that even the unrenewed man could be perfect, even without regeneration, because according to Pelagius, the fall does not affect us. The Adam and Eve's fall did not impact us. We are born, in a sense, in a state of neutrality. We, we do not have sin inside of us. So there, he definitely disagrees. So, this, so in, that, in this quote, he's clearly not full-blown Pelagian. But those previous quotes, to me, uh, the influence of Pelagianism is definitely there. 
Uh, he goes, if, a, if it be claimed that the unrenewed man with all the disabilities of the fall upon him cannot obey God, there will be no denial. But to declare that after one is renewed by the Holy Spirit, has received a new nature and became a child of the king, he cannot obey God is to assume a ridiculous attitude and to display, moreover, a lamentable ignorance of the work and implications of the atonement. I mean, basically, maybe this is more in line with Roman Catholicism than it is uh, Pelagianism. Maybe, maybe, uh, clearly, there's an influence, but but it, to him, when you quote unquote are renewed, you are infused. He doesn't use the word infused, but that's the concept. You're being in placed inside of you, power, ability, and now you can obey. We reject that outright. As a believer, you still have a sinful nature. You still have corruption. You will still sin. God's commands, God's law is still there, telling you what you should do, showing you what you should be. And every single day, you fall short of all of it. And every single day, your only hope is not in what you do, could do, pray more, read more, go to church more. No, your hope is in none of that. Your hope is in the imputed righteousness of Christ, which is accredited to your account by faith. And in that imputed righteousness, you have Christ's passive and active obedience. You are declared to be perfect, holy, and righteous. In Christ, in Christ, there is no condemnation. In Christ, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. That's your position in Christ. In practice, you're still the old person. You're still a sinner with a sinful nature. You still sin. You, you will continue to do that until glorification when sin will be ultimately removed. But in the meantime, we're going to fall short. Ian Bounds seems to be putting forth a completely different idea. Now, some may say, are you warning me not to read Ian Bounds? I would never do that. My view is always, I tell you to read anything and everything. I think you just need to read it maybe with a little bit more discernment. We need to determine how prevalent this idea is throughout his works so that people can at least be aware. Because I think people have heard Ian Bounds' name mentioned in such hushed reverence, with hushed reverence, that they just go into it going, everything Ian Bounds says is wonderful and perfect. And you can't do that. Ian Bounds' soteriology is an absolute train wreck. And Ian Bounds, I guarantee you, will put you under the burden of the law and you will be devastated, dis dismayed, and depressed if you even take it even halfway serious. So I think the real question is, Ian Bounds gives us a more law-based approach on prayer. What would a more gospel approach to prayer look like? That is your today's focus for January the 13th, 2023. I hope this is helpful. Please email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I would love to get your thoughts and opinions on this. Thanks for listening.